I want to go to Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3, and I want to tell you, God designed the Jewish people to bring light to the world. Salvation has come through the Jews. And salvation, the gospel, is the power of God to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. So this was a covenant thing God did with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And here we are so many centuries down the road in this season of our humanity. And, you know, we want to understand the times. We all want to understand our primary objective. And I want to tell you, Jesus calls the church, Matthew 5, 14, the light of the world. And he said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He also said in Mark, he said, the gospel is not to be put in a bushel basket. A light is not to be put in a bushel basket and under a bed. So the devil tries to obscure the brightness and the light, but God wants his light to so shine. In fact, God commanded that light would shine in the darkness. Light excels darkness, he said in Daniel's day. When Daniel was a teenage boy taken into Babylonian captivity from Jerusalem and transferred into Babylon, it was a hard time for him, I'm sure, but Daniel made up his mind. He refused to be conformed to the world around him, and so we see the magnificent touch of God on his life and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see the early church shining during the Roman Empire. I saw personally the impact of the church during a cycle of terrible social upheaval in the 60s and 70s where I was raised in Southern California. And I watched the Lord touch the formal cold aspects of the church and light it on fire. And I saw God touch the lost souls and retrieve us and add to the church daily those who were being saved. And I watched God throughout seasons, in season and out of season, and how when there are these stirrings of what people would call revival, like the great enlightenment or the great awakening or some of these great things that happen in the Welsh coal mines or Topeka, Kansas or Azusa Street, California, or the Jesus movement during the early 70s where God moved in such a mighty way. And yet also I've seen times where there were lulls in between seasons. And the Bible says we're to be ready in season and out of season. And so we want to know what our times are. We want to understand what we're to do. So we look in the scriptures and we see Essentially, we're called to carry light. Let's look at Isaiah 60, and then I want to go to John chapter 1. In Isaiah 60, this is talking about the Jews and Israel. He said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This reminds me of what God said, Jesus said to the disciples to go tell blind Bartimaeus. In the gospel, Jesus was leaving Jericho, and there was a blind man, a beggar, by the side of the road named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is son of Timaeus. Timaeus means unclean. He was a beggar that begged alms every day, and though he couldn't see Jesus, he had heard of Jesus, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's funny that the disciples tried to shut him up. Hey, shut up. Don't bother him. Uh, they didn't understand that even though Jesus was in a transition, that he was going to respond to and minister to this man's need. Aren't you glad God cares about us right where we're at? And uh, Jesus said, go talk to him. Go ask him what he wants. So they went over and they said, take courage. Arise. He's calling you. Take courage. Arise. He's calling you. 
This is reminiscent of that. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Think about it. In the gross darkness of Bartimaeus's literal blindness, or in this case, the darkness of the nations, and God providing light, and he's saying, you arise, you shine, because your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. This is God speaking to believers. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kingdoms to the brightness of your shining. Lift up your eyes round about you and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. The Lord has certainly blessed the dispersed people group called the Jewish people. He has certainly blessed humanity through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by promising that a descendant from David would come and be the rescuer not only of the Jews but also the non-Jews. We are in a privileged moment in this end time hour where we've had this benefit of the gospel, of good news of salvation and of rescue from Jesus. This is a foreshadowing of those things. In a very real sense, we could take this pattern and we need to arise. We can take the example of with Bartimaeus. Take courage. Arise. He's calling you. So encouraged was Bartimaeus that the Bible says he threw off his cloak. His cloak was like his handicapped parking placard. His cloak was his identification of the fact that he was certifiably a blind man. And that that sanctioned him to be able to beg alms in that setting. And he basically got up and said, I'm not going to need this anymore. I'm having an encounter with Jesus, the son of David. And by the way, when he said son of David, he was acknowledging his greatness and his deity. He was acknowledging his messianic power and his potential. And he wanted it to become personal. It wasn't satisfied just to have him go to Jericho and go away from Jericho and hear him passing by. He wanted to reach out and take hold of that brass ring that was passing right now. And that's exactly the way you are. That's what he told, Isaiah was telling the people, hey, you arise, you shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I got to watch in that moment of my youth where earthquakes, air pollution, so thick. We had Kaiser Steel down the street from us, but we also had uh, the, the L.A. Basin. We had so much photochemical smog in the Los Angeles area where I was, grow where I was living that the smog would just push from the ocean breezes and there would be like a ceiling and it would just contain along the San Gabriel Mountains and it would just all hug back into the corner where we lived. And it just was like toxic, uh, thick. You, could, you couldn't see down the street, it was so bad. You would wake up in the morning and it felt like somebody was standing on your chest. And not only the physical air pollution and not only the social awkwardness, the strife, the conflict, the division, there were race riots, there, there was anti-war stuff, there was hostility between generations. There were so many social maladies that it caused me to wring my hands as a young lost kid. And it compelled me walking through the orange groves one night as a teenager. God, if you're real, please show me. I made me want to cry out for something bigger and something different. 
I saw cults everywhere. Eastern religion was espoused, cultic things in California where I lived. And I thought, God, this is like a minefield of one level of crazy after the other. The earth shakes. The air isn't of a quality. They're saying that we're not going to have enough water in the next few years. All this kind of fear, all this kind of generation of upset, verifiable, some just chicken little, the sky is falling. Some of it was real. Some of it wasn't. You didn't know what to, where to hang your hat, what to believe. And then along comes the simple, essential gospel of Jesus, like a laser beam of light. And I prayed, God, if you're real, show me. And God sent and provided two credible witnesses to me. I want to go to John chapter 1, and I want to talk to you about what I think we should be doing right now in this moment. School boards are trying to figure out whether to have live classes or not. Some counties say yes, some say no. You know, what efficacy do do, do our masks have? Do they work? Do they not work? Should we wear them? Should we not wear them? All these variables depending upon communities, and we have all these different issues we've never had to decide before. But let me just go right down to what really matters most. Can I? Can we just go right down to the heart of the matter? Because we have to get back to our essential purpose. And it says here in John chapter 1, I want you to read the first few verses of the book of John. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, this reminds me of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 3, he said, and God said, let there be light. And what happened? Light came. And now it says right here, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Anytime humanity has tried to overturn this idea, verse 4, it's created grim darkness. But when anybody has turned to the Lord, light comes. The veil is removed. Darkness dissipates. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In Psalm 36, 9, it says, In your light we see light. In Psalm 119, it says the entrance of his word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. What should we do in this hour? We should double up on the word. We should study Psalms, read Proverbs, go to the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study the book of Acts and see the pattern of the prototype of the early church. Be roused in your faith of their simplicity and their effectiveness. The signs and wonders following, God confirming his word. Go to the epistles, First and Second Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Study First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First, Second, Third John, and Jude and Revelation. All these amazing, powerful books. Meditate on these promises. Spend time in the Word, perhaps like never before. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, handling accurately, rightly dividing the word. Doubling up on the word will help you to discern what to do in these these unique times. The word is spirit and it's life. As we ponder it, we then get the reinforcement that it in fact is a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. 
He goes on and he says in verse 6, he says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John the Apostle is writing here about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, whose mother was Elizabeth, father was Zechariah. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. He was called to be a witness. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Listen, servants, we are servants through whom people can believe. God has, in another verse in 2 Corinthians, called us to be ambassadors for Christ. You, in a very real sense, have been tapped out by the Lord. In addition to the benefit of you having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and having the assurance of adoption into God's family, he now wants to deploy you. He now wants to send you out strategically, a lamb amongst wolves, but yet a light in the darkness. And he has actually called you out of darkness to show forth his marvelous, excellent praises and to cause light to shine through your life. He's given you a bright message. And I'll tell you what, I would rather light a candle than curse the darkness. I'd rather articulate good news and have answers on how to get out of the forest than just be worried lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and articulate all that. If we're gonna spend any energy, it might as well be in figuring out how to, how to shine light and how to get light out and how to pray the light of God into this situation. I'm a product of that moment in the early 70s when people were praying for lost teenagers and the lost generation and the responsive church that was prayerful was burdened, and I'm certain they began to intercede, and they began to pray for us lost kids, and God miraculously rescued us out of the pit, and I am forever grateful for those elder brothers and sisters who laid down their time and their lives in prayer to get people like me out of the ditch of lostness. They were concerned for my soul. They saw past the social maladies. They lifted up their eyes and they realized that their redemption was drawing nigh. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. During those periods, there was so much doom and gloom. People were writing books about how the world was falling apart, how America was going to be judged, how everything was falling apart. And you had to discern, even as a young, brand new Christian, Lord, what is right and what is wrong? What should I invest my time in? What should I listen to? And I'll tell you, we need to ask the right questions. Instead of asking, is the world going to fall apart by November? Is America going to blow out? We need to ask, God, how can I enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise and draw more ardently toward you than perhaps I ever have in my Christian life and get any apathy and complacency out of my life and get more dedicated to you than I've ever been in my life? I need your help with this, Lord. You know my flesh. You know my tendencies. You know how tired I've become. You know how weary I've become. But yet you told me not to grow weary and well-doing for in due time you'll reap if you faint not so when God spoke to the guys to go tell blind Bartimaeus take courage arise he's calling you that's a very prophetic message for this moment right now if you feel blinded on the side of the road numb and dull even as a Christian arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you Man, God used John the Baptist and he even had lapses of challenge. He said, hey, he was in prison. He said, go ask Jesus if he's the one or if we should look for somebody else. 
And Jesus just, he didn't get upset with them. He didn't get mad at his unbelief. He just, he, he's had people get healed, people get saved, people be delivered. And he said, go tell them the sick are healed, the blind see, the dead are raised, you know, the demonic are delivered. And that's how he answered. And that's how he's answering us. What's going to happen in 2020? We're going to have continued breakthrough as we dedicate ourselves to him and focus. You got, we've got to stay focused, people. Take courage, arise. The master's calling you. He's calling you. He's calling you. He said, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. My happiest slots of my pastoring of over 40 years are summed up in this. When the Japanese research scientist turned to me and he said, I, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Buddhist. I said, there's a Buddhist section in our church. He said, really, where? I said, wherever you sit. <laughs> and he came for two years and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. The Orthodox Jewish surgeon who came for two years and at the end he said, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. The guy who told me and pronounced to me on my introduction to him, I'm, a, I'm an agnostic. I said, well, I'm a Christian. I appreciate you being honest. I'm a believer. I'm not going to be obnoxious with you. I'm not going to browbeat you, but I'm also not going to hold back. I believe Jesus to be the son of God and he's a savior, but I'm not going to lay a trip on you, but I am not going to hold back either. He said, okay. And he said, okay. I said, okay. They all three got saved. I am forever grateful to the Vietnam veteran who picked me up at one o'clock in the morning on a November in 1972 and was willing to share the gospel with me while he drove 10 miles out of his own way to bother to show a little bit of servanthood and a little bit of care for a lost teenager and was willing to communicate the gospel effectively in a non-threatening way without buzzwords, without a bunch of church speak. He was able to communicate it in a way that caused me to listen. He didn't beat me over the head. He didn't put condemnation on me, nor did he hold back. He just shared the essentials of the gospel, was willing to pray for me and drop me off and trusted enough in the message that when I said I didn't want to talk with him anymore, he said, okay, and he let me go home, let me read something, and I gave my life to Jesus. I'm thankful to the God who answered prayer and sent somebody to my house to invite me to church. I'm so grateful for church. And church has been so important to me over the course of my Christian life. God answers prayer. And light, what is happening right now in today's world? Darkness is, is encroaching. And wherever there's darkness, listen, somebody gave me a little LED light for my key ring. And it, it's powered by one of those little coin batteries, little tiny little thing. You could flick this switch and it'll light up because where it's dark on the porch, when the porch light isn't on, you could turn that thing on, it'll light the whole thing up. When there's darkness, every believer just needs to understand how prominent and powerful the light of the gospel is right now. Our emphasis in this moment is to go to the lamp that is the word, the light to our feet, Go to the person, Jesus, who is the light of the world, and then the Jesus who turns around and says to us, you're now the light of the world. In John's earthly ministry, John the Baptist, he wasn't categorized as the light yet. He, he wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. Jesus is the light, but yet, yet the head of the church calls the church the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And we're a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. And the light is not to be put in a bushel basket and under a bed. And that's precisely what the enemy wants to try to do in this pre-revival, pre, -revival, pre 
um, harvest moment that we're in. So we need to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Everybody say, let your light shine. He said, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. You know, I met a guy who came to a meeting I did in California who was the head of the neurology department at UCLA. He had an MD in psychiatry. He has written many textbooks on the subject of obsessive compulsive disorder. He is a certifiable genius. His family went, was in Auschwitz and Dachau. So they came at, at, at great expense of hardship of their life during the war, came in. He embraced, he was Jewish, but he embraced a form of Buddhism that required quite a bit of discipline. So here is a, an MD, psychiatrist, specialist in neuroscience, coming to a meeting to hear the gospel, and um, he, he's a certifiable genius, and he's, he practices Buddhism. What is a preacher to do? Well, I had learned enough up to that point that it's what, like Paul said, I don't want your faith to rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And I therefore determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he said, when I came to you in Corinth, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Does that sound familiar to you? That's Paul the Apostle who would prefer we not have a bad confession, but in that case, he's just being clarifying. It's not by our might or by our power, but it's by his spirit. And that it's not on the reliance of our own sophistication. I think had I gone into a bunch of cerebral debate with the guy, I could have lost him. How he became a Christian, I do know that it was by the grace of God that the Holy Spirit was doing a great work in his life. He began to come to these meetings and he began to hear, and I would, I would have conversation with this man. And I would ask him a question and he would go into these technical dimensions. And he was so intelligent. And I, would, and I did this with the Proverbs said, even a fool when he's silent is regarded as wise. So I had enough sense just to ask him a question, and it sounded pretty, you know, I thought it was pretty cool, you know, pretty smart, pretty sharp, maybe not. And, and I would sit there, and I would just let him talk. And I'd get maybe sometimes 70%, 65%, 60%, 80% on a good day, 40 on most cases. But what I'd get would be like, man, that's amazing. He wrote the book on some of this stuff. Well, I started to ask him. He would come to meeting after meeting. I would say to him, is Jesus in your heart? Not yet, he'd say. I'd say, is Jesus in your heart? He'd go, not yet. One day, about three, four months into it, we're having this conversation. I said, his name's Jeff. I said, Jeff, is, have you asked Jesus in your heart? He goes, he's in my head, but he's not in my heart yet. So I made a joke. I said, well, that's 18 inches. You're getting close. <laughs> he gave his life to Jesus. He got baptized, he said, in total immersion and by a Presbyterian church. He said, I don't know which is a greater miracle, that I got saved or that the Presbyterians baptized an adult in total immersion. <laughs> he said, I think they did it because I'm Jewish. Now, if you don't understand that, then you're great. But that's <laughs> theology here. But he is one of the most radical, committed, fervent, happy believers that I've ever met. There was a man that met me out here on the patio. He said, I was an, I was an atheist. Oh, wow, okay. No, you don't understand. I was an atheist, but I'm not anymore. 
and he walked into the building. I don't know the testimony level of what he was trying to get the import of it to me. You don't understand how adamantly committed I was to the resignation and dismissiveness that there's a, there, the idea that there's a God. I just threw it away. And now yet I've had a change of heart. Jesus changes lives. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the laser beam message that will set the captives free. Jesus, that name above every name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. What ought be the focus of our moment is conforming to the image of Christ, growing up in all aspects in him, and seeing to it that we lead a lucid and clear enough life where we're engaging people and being attractive and not repellent, sharing Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way, engaging with people, loving them. Can I pray for you? Hey, man, you know about the, the Jesus, Jesus has changed my life. Just communicating, just sowing seed. I'm not telling you to be heavy-handed, but I'm also not telling you to hold back. What I'm saying is, let your light so shine before men. Lift people up in prayer. The word of God is not imprisoned. The gates of hell cannot hold back what I'm trying to say here. Let's look at this. Continue with John. It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we all received, and grace upon grace. We've all received this measure and this quality of mercy and this condition whereby we are now ambassadors for Christ. I am a product of people who had been salvaged by the redemptive work of Jesus and they were evident in their change. They had had their lives changed. Important things had happened on the inside of them. And while society was going to hell and things were so awful, the hard drugs started to come in and kill what positive ideals of the hippie thing, they were all gone. It was a wasteland. The immorality was producing morbidity. Darkness had encroached. Society was seized. It was fearful. But look at Psalm 27. Look at the beginning of Psalm 27. This is a powerful, amazing thing that's happening right now in our circles. David says, without saying, look how bad everything is, he starts out with, look how big our God is. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. What's going to happen in November of 
2020? What's going to happen in America? What's happening in our societies right now? I don't really know, but what I do know is this. What's happening in the kingdom? Jesus is exalted. The word is powerful. The Holy Spirit is on the move. Signs, wonders, and miracles are available to those who are serving him. And it is our priority to do verse four. One thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above all my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Darlene Check wrote, shout to the Lord. Blind Bartimaeus was shouting so much the disciples tried to shut him up. Jesus said, don't shut him up. Go find out what he wants. Take courage, they said. Arise. The master's calling you. This is what I sense in my spirit. Arise. Shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Gross darkness will cover the earth. But those who walked in darkness will see a great light. They'll turn to the brightness of your shining of concerning Israel. They have been a beacon of light for society, the law, the prophets, and now the Messiah has come through them. Hallelujah. And now in the church age, now in the age of the Holy Spirit, this dispensation of mercy and grace, the church is the light of the world and we're the salt of the earth and we have a commission as ambassadors for Christ. I am the product of people that simply entered into the extraordinary grace of God and became substantially changed by it and carried something that was light-giving and was uplifting and was hopeful that could tell a sinner they could become a believer and get on track with God. I live for this. This is what God's forming, reforming our church to be. Deployable saints that want Jesus as their objective for him to be honored and glorified. We don't need gurus. We don't need distraction. We, we, we understand this is not elitism. It's for all of us. He wants every, the proper working of each individual part. I've always dreamt our whole church activated and deployed, serving God on fire, believing God for great things with signs and wonders following. Hallelujah. Man, I'm excited about this, obviously. I want to finish with Proverbs chapter 4 because this has been a cornerstone of my idea of how life should be through the seasons. Life should be looked at as a treasured gift and that the end of a matter is better than the beginning. I like the old saying, all's well that ends well. When Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith, and there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but everybody that does this. Like David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, or God's seed beg for bread. And one of my all-time favorite fighting words from amazing Caleb on his 85th birthday in Joshua chapter 14 when they're getting turf designation and he's taken on Hebron, the mountaintop where the giants are, as my strength was then, so my strength is now. 
He said, I was 40 years old when God began to speak certain things to me. I'm 85 now on my birthday. Give me this mountaintop that I might put a whooping on some giants. <laughs> it's my observation that in my dad's life, the best season of his life was his last 11 years here in our church. He fought cancer when he was seven, eight years old, spent his teenage years in a hospital in Texas. He had over 18 surgeries on his body. They used maggots to clean out the wounds back, back in the day. Cancer surgery in the 1930s was so primitive. He lost his whole hip. He limped through life, but never complained about it. He went out and he worked in aerospace and had a 42-year career in the largest defense company in the planet. He had a security clearance where today my brother and I still don't even know what he did. But he did a great job and he worked on the corporate office here. That's what got us to St. Louis. But I think God brought us here for such a time as this. I don't miss my, my home state. I'm grateful that God planted me here. I love my church. I love the idea of what God has for his church. I love and I am excited with what God's about to do. Nothing shakes me, nothing moves me. The firm foundation of the Lord stands. Nothing takes God by surprise, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, and for those who are called according to his purpose. And God is doing a great work. God is bringing a cleansing, and God's bringing a restoration, and God's getting us ready for the next steps. The light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon us. This true light that's come in the world enlightens every man. Jesus is the light, the gospel. He's the lamp. His word is a lamp. He's the word. As we get in the word, this is where we're going to gain spiritual ground so that we can actually find out what the Lord would have us do and discover the steps that we're to take before the time even comes for us to make those steps so that when they come, we know what to do. And what Jehoshaphat said is, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are fixed on you. By fixing our eyes on him, he will show us what to do. He doesn't withhold. Listen to what it says here in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Proverbs. Take hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. I want to advise everybody in this room right now to study the Bible Get as much as you can out of it. Get into it. You say, where do I start? Anywhere you want. What do I read? Whatever God leads you to read. Read the Psalms if you want to figure out how to overcome oppression. Read Proverbs if you want instructions about life. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if you want to fellowship with Jesus village to village. Read the book of Acts if you want to see how the church responded to the upper room impartation and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and how they functioned. Read the epistles if you want to see patterns and standards and practices on how to walk and how to live. Those are the books that tell you to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk in love. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in the Spirit. They'll give you instruction and, and patterns. They'll show you how to pray. Those verses, those chapters will show you how to mature, how to grow up, how to conquer, how to win in life. Hallelujah. Listen, don't let go of these things. Take hold of instruction and don't let go. Look at somebody next to you and say, don't let go. 
guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil and they are robbed of sleep unless they make some, someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But look at verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Take courage. Arise. The Master's calling you. In fact, let's all physically stand up on our feet. I want to read verse 18 out loud. The path, say this with me. Read this up on the screen. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter till the full day. Say it again. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. See, the way of the wicked is like the darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. But then it says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them escape your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Never before has there been a better time for us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed. Young people, get the Bible and read it. We used to go to Denny's and we'd go order a super bird and we'd stay up all night, you know, and the waiters didn't like it because we didn't have a whole lot of money, but, but we'd sit there and discuss the Bible. We made leather covers with snaps or zippers and we, it was all part of the fashion of the 70s. But one thing was certain, we wanted our Bible with us. It became a companion. Uh, you take the Bible, you get a pen, you get an underliner, you get a highlighter. You write, you under, like one pastor said, underline only the good scriptures. He said, they're all good scriptures. Underline everything and they get a new Bible every year. I am friends with Merrick, Doug, and Rick Houghton, the Houghton brothers, three great men. Two pastors, one in Atlanta, one over here in Shiloh, and Doug is a great builder. Doug is a, is a wonderful man of God, and I knew their dad, Austin. I just met their family right after the mother had passed from a cancer battle, and yet they, they were in the midst of grieving, but they, they stood their ground. I've known, I've known Rick Huffton, Pastor Rick, since I was a teenager. And they were born in Africa. They were missionaries. The mother was from the Czech Republic. The father was British. They were, they were in Africa. They're missional. They're prayer people. And I remember Mr. Houghton, Austin Houghton, and how he would underline his Bible. He battled asthma, and he would sometimes, you know, he would be really battling to get breath. You never heard him complain. But I just saw his love for the Word of God. And then I watched as he passed but I watched his kids and then grandkids take on the dimension of commitment to God be the glory. And I watched that grandpa believe God for his grandkids to serve the Lord. And then I watched the grandkids grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You stick around long enough, you'll see that the end of a matter is better than the beginning. And I'll tell you another thing you have as an advantage with me as a pastor. I didn't get obsessed with the revival period I got saved in. Had I gotten obsessed with the revival period I got saved in, I would have turned it into a fetish, embellished caricature of life, and I would have been bored and dreary with everything until we had another big charismatic Yahoo explosion. I say that with respect, but I say that earnestly to help you to understand. I've been working for 40 years to build a foundation, to build believers that are mature, thinking, solid Christians, that are deployable, 
that can share Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way, that are mature, that don't get worried about the times, that understand the times and what they're to do, that have a stability about them, and that know how to be fruitful out of season. I'll just tell you, God's given us a lot of great projects. And in recent days, we weren't able to do Easter or jump or, you know, these kinds of party on the patio, things like that, events like that. But that's okay because we're not addicted to events. This isn't an events-based movement. This is a person-based movement named Jesus. And it's a word-based movement named the Bible. So we're following the Bible and Jesus hardcore. And whether it's high times or hard times, we're unshaken. We're immovable. And the Bible, in fact, says be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I want to tell you, you may feel like you're obscure, and that's okay, because the great world changers have a covert element to them. I met a man who's a billionaire who makes films. He says, I just want to fly under the radar, because he knows that that's where he could get a lot done. God has actually anointed us, overtly and covertly. We live in an era where it's all surface, uh, surface, but God actually is about substance. He occasionally manifests in the surface, but the big, deep foundation, firm foundation of the Lord stands. And we are in a moment now. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What's happening right now? Equipping, impartation. We've been dedicating. It took something for you to come today. We don't know from the CDC and the local communities whether we should show up or not, how far we should stand from each other, masks, not. There's so many, there's been so much contradiction and we're trying to be submissive. We're trying, but yet, yet the same people say different things over and over again. And we that deal with the truth, we just want to go, okay, where, so where do we land? So here's where we land. Having done all to stand, we stand. We stagger not at the promises, but we stand firm on the promises. And the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And this one thing I have desired and that I shall seek. I'm going to dwell on the house of the Lord. And let me tell you something. They're going to bring their sick to you. They're going to ask you what makes you tick. There's going to be a new moment in the, in the church. Religious people are going to want to know God. They're, if they're religious but they're not right with God, they'll want to know God. Unsaved people are going to ask questions. And smart people, if they ask the wrong questions, you just wait around and answer the right questions. And you just, the, a good leader will answer the right questions. If they ask you crazy questions, answer, do like Jesus did. Answer a question with a question and then get them over to what's important, not manipulatively, but just let's just keep the big deal the big deal. You must be born again. Nicodemus said, man, we can tell you're the God from all these miracles. You must be born again. He didn't even address it. He what? How can he be born? Second time in his mother's womb. He said, no. And, and Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, you show up, they show up later. They're following. They're Jesus followers. The Lord has given us an anointing. Say this with me. I'm the light of the world. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Do you, want, you don't want to know what just happened? 
A bunch of slag just got chipped off of us. A bunch of light just came onto us. That oppression that's tried to eclipse your mind, the devil has just had to flee. I indirectly just resisted the devil with this word. And you're going to walk out and you're going to figure out, don't let it encroach on you again. Watch what you listen to. You only need so much news information to figure out that the world's crazy. You, but you do need a lot of study. And I'm not telling you to skirt the issues and avoid. I'm not telling you to a doctrine of avoidance. I'm telling you a doctrine of dig deep, press in to know the Lord. In Jesus' name, on the count of three, one, two, three. Go out and have a great day. God bless you guys. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you.